Chapter Five of Cocoa and Chocolate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. Cocoa and Chocolate: Their History from Plantation to Consumer, by Arthur W. Knapp. Chapter Five: The Manufacture of Cocoa and Chocolate. Early Methods in the Tropics As the cacao bean is grown in tropical countries, it is there that we must look for the first attempts at manufacturing from it a drink or a foodstuff. The primitive method of preparation was very simple, consisting in roasting the beans in a pot or on a shovel to develop their flavor, winnowing in the wind, and then rubbing the broken-shelled beans between stones until quite fine. The curious thing is that on grinding the cacao bean in the heat of a tropical day, we do not produce a powder, but a paste. This is because half the cacao bean consists of a fat, which is liquid at 90 degrees Fahrenheit, a temperature which is reached in the shade in tropical countries. This paste was then made into small rolls and put in a cool place to set. Thus was produced the primitive unsweetened drinking chocolate. This is the method which Elizabethans, who ventured into the tangled forests of equatorial America, found in use. And this is the method they brought home to Europe. In the tropics, these simple processes are followed to this day, but in Europe they have undergone many elaborations and refinements. If the reader will look at the illustration entitled Women Grinding Chocolate, he will see how the brittle roasted bean is reduced to a paste in primitive manufacture. A stone, shaped like a rolling pin, is being pushed to and fro over a concave slab on which the smashed beans have already been reduced to a paste of doughy consistency. Early European Manufacture the conversion of these small-scale operations into the early factory process is well shown in the plate which I reproduce above from Arts and Sciences, published in 1768. A certain atmosphere of dreamy intellectuality is associated with coffee, so that the roasting of it is felt to be a romantic occupation. The same poetic atmosphere surrounded the manufacture of drinking chocolate in the early days. The writers who revealed the secrets of its preparation were conscious that they were giving man a new aesthetic delight, and the subject is treated lovingly and lingeringly. One, Pietro Metastasio, went so far as to write a cantata describing its manufacture. He describes the grinding as being done by a vigorous man, and truly, to grind by hand is a very laborious operation, which happily, in more recent times, has been performed by the use of power-driven mills. Operations on a large scale followed the founding of Fry and Sons at Bristol in 1728, and of Lombard, La Plus Ancienne Chocolataria de France in Paris in 1760. In Germany, the first chocolate factory was erected at Steinhund in 1756 under the patronage of Prince Wilhelm, whilst in America the well-known firm of Walter Baker and Company 
began in a small way in 1765. From the methods adopted in these factories have gradually developed the modern processes which I am about to describe. Modern Practice As the early stages in the manufacture of cocoa and chocolate are often identical, the processes which are common to both are first described, and then some individual consideration is given to each. A. Arrival at the factory. The cacao is largely stored in warehouses, from which it is removed as required. It has remarkable keeping properties, and can be kept in a good store for several years without loss of quality. Samples of cacao beans in glass bottles have been found to be in perfect condition after 30 years. Some factories have stores in which stand thousands of bags of cacao drawn from many ports round the equator. There is something very pleasing about huge stacks of bags of cacao seen against the luminous white walls of a well-lighted store. The symmetry of their construction and the continued repetition of the same form are never better shown than when the men, climbing up the sides of a stack against which they look small, unbuild the mighty heap, the bags falling onto a continuous band which carries them jauntily out of the store. B. Sorting the beans. As all cacao is liable to contain a little free shell, dried pulp, often taken for twigs, threads of sacking, and other foreign matter, it is carefully sieved and sorted before passing on to the roasting shop. In this process, curios are occasionally separated, such as palm kernels, cowrie shells, shea butternuts, good luck seeds, and crab's eyes. The essential part of one type of machine which accomplishes this sorting is an inclined revolving cylinder of wire gauze along which the beans pass. The cylinder forms a continuous set of sieves of different sized mesh, one sieve allowing only sand to pass, another only very small beans or fragments of beans, and finally one holding back anything larger than a single bean, e.g. cobs that is, a collection of two or more beans stuck together. Another type of cleaning machine is illustrated by the diagram on the opposite page. This machine, with its shaking sieves and a blast of air, makes a great clatter and fuss. It produces, however, what the manufacturers desire, a clean bean sorted to size. C. Roasting the beans. As with coffee, so with cacao, the characteristic flavor and aroma are only developed on roasting. Monsieurs Bainbridge and Davies, chemists to Monsieurs Roundtree, have shown that the aroma of cacao is chiefly due to an amazingly minute quantity, 0.0006% of linalool, a colorless liquid with a powerful fragrant odor, a modification of which occurs in bergamot, coriander, and lavender. Everyone notices the aromatic odor which permeates the atmosphere around a chocolate factory. This odor is a byproduct of the roasting shop. Possibly some day an enterprising chemist will prevent its escape or capture it and sell it in bottles for flavoring confectionery. But for the present, it serves only to announce in an appetizing way the presence of cocoa or chocolate works. Roasting is a delicate operation, requiring experience and discretion. 
even in these days of scientific management it remains as much an art as a science it is conducted in revolving drums to ensure constant agitation the drums being heated either over coke fires or by gas less frequently the heating is affected by a hot blast of air or by having inside the drum a number of pipes containing superheated steam the diagram and the photo show one of the types of roasting machines used at bourneville it resembles an ordinary coffee roaster the beans being fed in through a hopper and heated by gas in the slowly revolving cylinder the beans can be heard lightly tumbling one over the other and the aroma round the roaster increases in fullness as they get hotter and hotter the temperature which the beans reach in an ordinary roasting is not very high varying around 135 degrees celsius 275 degrees fahrenheit and the average period of roasting is about one hour the amount of loss of weight on roasting is considerable some seven or eight percent and varies with the amount of moisture present in the raw beans there have been attempts to replace the aesthetic judgment of man as to the point at which to stop roasting by scientific machinery one rather interesting machine was so devised that the cacao roasting drum was fitted with a sort of steel yard and this when the loss of weight due to roasting had reached a certain amount swung over and rang a bell indicating dramatically that the roasting was finished as beans vary amongst other things in the percentage of moisture which they contain the machine has not replaced the experienced operator he takes samples from the drum from time to time and when the aroma has the character desired the beans are rapidly discharged into a trolley with a perforated bottom which is brought over a cold current of air the object of this refinement is to stop the roasting instantly and prevent even a suspicion of burning after the roasting the shell is brittle and quite free from the cotyledons or kernel the kernel has become glossy and frayable and chocolate brown in color and it crushes readily between the fingers into small angular fragments the nibs of commerce giving off during the breaking down a rich warm odor of chocolate d removing the shells it has been stated that it was formerly the practice not to remove the shell this is incorrect the more usual practice from the earliest times has been to remove the shells though not so completely as they are removed by the efficient machinery of today in a curious treaty on the nature and quality of chocolate by antonio colmenero de desma we read quote, and if you peel the cacao and take it out of its little shell the drink thereof will be more dainty and delicious willoughby in his travels in spain 1664 writes they first toast the berries to get off the husk and r brooks in the natural history of chocolate 1730 says the indians roast the kernels in earthen pots then free them from their skins and afterwards crush and grind them between two stones he further definitely recommends that the beans quote, be roasted enough to have their skins come off easily which should be done one by one layering them apart 
for these skins being left among the chocolate will not dissolve in any liquor nor even in the stomach and fall to the bottom of the chocolate cups as if the kernels had not been cleaned End quote. that the indian practice of removing the shells was followed from the commencement of the industry in england is shown by the old plate which we have reproduced on page 120 from arts and sciences the removal of the shell which in the raw condition is tough and adheres to the kernel is greatly facilitated by roasting if we place a roasted bean in the palm of the hand and press it with the thumb the whole cracks up into crisp pieces it is now quite easy to blow away the thin pieces of shell because they offer a greater surface to the air and are lighter than the little compact lumps or nibs which are left behind this illustrates the principle of all shelling or husking machines e breaking the bean into fragments the problem is to break down the bean to just the right size the pieces must be sufficiently small to allow the nib and shell readily to part company but it is important to remember that the smaller the pieces of shell and nib the less efficient will the winnowing be and it is usual to break the beans whilst they are still warm to avoid producing particles of extreme fineness the breaking down may be accomplished by passing the beans through a pair of rollers at such a distance apart that the bean is cracked without being crushed or it may be effected in other ways e g by the use of an adjustable serrated cone revolving in a serrated conical case in the diagram they are called kibling cones f separating the germs about one percent of the cacao bean fragments consist of germs the germ is the radical of the cacao seed or that part of the cacao seed which on germination forms the root the germs are small and rod shaped and being very hard are generally assumed to be less digestible than the nib they are separated by being passed through revolving gauze drums the holes in which are the same size and shape as the germs so that the germs pass through whilst the nib is retained if a freakish carpenter were to try separating shop floor sweepings consisting of a jumble of chunks of wood nib shavings shell and nails germ by sieving through a gridiron he would find that not only the nails passed through but also some sawdust and fine shavings so in the above machine the finer nib and shell pass through with the germ this germ mixture known as smalls is dealt with in a special machine whilst the larger nib and shell are conveyed to the chief winnowing machine in this machine the mixture is first sorted according to size and then the nib and shell separated from one another the mixture is passed down long revolving cylindrical sieves and encounters a larger and larger mesh as it proceeds and thus becomes sieved into various sizes the separation of the shell from the nib is now effected by a powerful current of air the large nib falling against the current whilst the shell is carried with it and drops into another compartment it is amusing to stand and watch the continuous stream of nibs rushing down like hail in a storm into the screw conveyor this is the process, in essence, 
to follow the various partially separated mixtures of shell and nib through the several further separating machines would be tedious. It is sufficient for the reader to know that after the most elaborate precautions have been taken, the nib still contains about 1% of shell, and that the nib obtained is only 78.5% of the weight of raw beans originally taken. Most of the larger makers of cocoa produce nib containing less than 2% of shell, a standard which can only be maintained by continuous vigilance. The shell, the only waste material of any importance produced in a chocolate factory, goes straight into sacks ready for sale. The pure cacao nibs, once an important article of commerce, proceed to the blenders and thence to the grinding mill. G. Blending. We have seen that the beans are roasted separately according to their kind and country, so as to develop in each its characteristic flavor. The pure nib is now blended in proportions which are carefully chosen to attain the result desired. H. Grinding the cacao nibs to produce mass. In this process, by the mere act of grinding, the miracle is performed of converting the brittle fragments of the cacao bean into a chocolate-colored fluid. Half of the cacao bean is fat, and the grinding breaks up the cells and liberates the fat which, at blood heat, melts to an oil. Any of the various machines used in the industries for grinding might be used, but a special type of mill has been devised for the purpose. In the grinding room of a cocoa factory, one becomes almost hypnotized by a hundred of these circular mill stones that rotate incessantly day and night. In Monsieur Fry's factory, the giddy motion of the whirling mill is very much increased by a number of magnificent horizontal driving wheels, each some 20 feet in diameter, which form, as it were, a revolving ceiling to the room. Your fascinated gaze beholds two or three vast circles that have their revolving satellites like moons, each on its own axis, and each governed by master wheels, Watch them for any length of time, and you might find yourself presently going round and round with them until you whirled yourself out of existence, like the gyrating maiden in the fairy tale. In this type of grinding machine, one millstone rotates on a fixed stone. The cacao nib falls from a hopper through a hole in the center of the upper stone, and, owing to the manner in which grooves are cut in the two surfaces in contact, is gradually dragged between the stones. The grooves are so cut in the two stones that they point in opposite directions, and as the one stone revolves on the other, a slicing or shearing action is produced. The friction, due to the slicing and shearing of the nib, keeps the stones hot and they become sufficiently warm to melt the fat in the ground nib, so that there oozes from the outer edge of the bottom, or fixed stone, a more or less viscous liquid or paste. This finely ground nib is known as mass. It is simply liquefied cacao bean and solidifies on cooling to a chocolate-colored block. This mass may be used for the production of either cocoa or chocolate. When part of the fat, cacao butter, is taken away, the residue may be made to yield cocoa. When sugar and cacao butter are added, it yields eating chocolate. Thus, the two industries are seen to be interdependent, 
the cacao butter which is pressed out of the mass in the manufacture of cocoa being used up in the production of chocolate the manufacture of cocoa will first be considered i pressing out the excess of butter the liquefied cacao bean or mass simply mixed with sugar and cooled until it becomes a hard cake has been used by the british navy for a hundred years or more for the preparation of jack's cup of cocoa it produces a fine rich drink much appreciated by our hardy seamen but it is somewhat too fatty to mix evenly with water and too rich to be suitable for those with delicate digestions hence for the ordinary cocoa of commerce it is usual to remove a portion of this fat if mass be put into a cloth and pressed a golden oil melted cacao butter oozes through the cloth in practice this extraction of the butter is done in various types of presses in one of the most frequently used types the mass is poured into a circular steel pots the top and bottom of which are loose perforated plates lined with felt pads a number of such pots are placed one above another and then rammed together by a powerful hydraulic ram they look like the parts of a slowly collapsing telescope the mass is only gently pressed at first but as the butter flows away and the material in the pot becomes stiffer it is subjected to a gradually increasing pressure the ram being under pressure supplied by pumps pushes up with enormous force the steel pots have to be sufficiently strong to bear great strain as the ram often exerts a pressure of six thousand pounds per square inch when the required amount of butter has been pressed out the pot is found to contain not a paste but a hard dry cake of compressed cocoa the liquefied cacao bean put into the pots contains 54 to 55 percent of butter whilst the cocoa press cake taken out usually contains only 25 to 30 percent the expressed butter flows away and is filtered and solidified all that it is necessary to do to obtain cocoa from the press cake is to powder it j breaking down the press cake to cocoa powder the slabs of press cake are so hard and tough that if one were banged on a man's head it would probably stun him they are broken down in a crushing mill the inside of which is as full of terrible teeth as a giant's mouth until the fragments are small enough to grind on steel rollers k sieving as fineness is a very important quality of cocoa the powder so obtained is very carefully sieved this is effected by shaking the powder into an inclined rotating drum which is covered with silk gauze in the cocoa which passes through this fine silk sieve the average length of the individual particles is about one one thousandth of an inch whilst in first-class productions the size of larger particles in the cocoa does not average more than two thousandths of an inch indeed the cocoa powder is so fine that in spite of all precautions a certain amount always floats about in the air of sieving rooms and covers everything with a brown film l packing the cocoa powder is taken to the packing rooms 
here the tedious weighing by hand has been replaced by ingenious machines which deliver with remarkable accuracy a definite weight of cocoa into the paper bag which lines the tin the tins are then labeled and packed in cases ready for the grocer end of chapter five